right. Hey, everybody. Another episode of uh, Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And today we've got uh, John Lay. So, uh, John, if you'd like to introduce yourself, please tell us a little about who John is and what he does. Happy to. So, yes, as you've said, I'm John Lay. I like to consider myself a long-term technology leader with extensive background in software development and building technology teams. Uh, I'm currently the VP of IT for a specialty retailer and RV dealership group. My focus is on applications and, and those teams that are delivering and supporting applications for the organization. All right. Um, so uh, tell us a little more about your uh, your beginnings, your humble beginnings in, sure. in IT. You know, what was... What was the thing that helped spark that interest for you? They they got yeah. you interested in these damn machines. <laughs> so I'll go I'll go back and take the take a trip here in the wayback machine. I did not originally think I would have anything to do with technology as I left high school. Um, back then, technology was something locked away in a glass room, and phones were mounted to walls. Um, but things have changed, and so have I. I'm still a small town Tennessee farm boy at heart, but blessed with the ability to work with technology and be successful at building technology teams. And a lot of that has to do with communication and being able to understand technology and relate it to those uh, non-technical folks, but also to tell stories and help the technical folks, the folks who need to actually do something with technology, understand what the business needs and how to solve their problems. Uh, I have had a long, varied history, but probably pretty much all of my jobs had something to do with software or applications, either supporting them, running them, or building them. Took a little uh, sidetrack for a little while in embedded systems, which was quite interesting and, and actually was a, a key contributor to devices that played advertisement on commercial on cable television systems, the things that we all hate to watch, those interruptions as we're watching and binge watching. Let me let me interrupt for a quick second. Tell me a little bit more about that piece of it. What so in in that time period, um, I mean it was something that we kind of talked about a little before that that shared experience. So we all saw the same damn um, <laughs> advertisements. And uh, so <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about exactly what you were doing in, in that piece of this. Give me a little of the history in that or, or what it was. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give a little history and, and describe it all in one. So I had been working for an organization in Memphis and had been tasked with taking a new division that they were trying to spin up. The company that I was working for did provided software and systems for television stations and, and their advertising. And they were starting up a division that would do the same, but on a smaller level. So the, the big organization was mainframe and minis. And the, the new division they wanted to start up with PCs. PCs had come in and were really beginning to show their value. And they wanted to have a package for radio, stations and small television stations. At that same time, cable television and advertising on cable systems had come into to being 
And this organization in Salt Lake City had started a package uh, on, a, on a PC that did that. And they had purchased this company, but it was like a year later and things weren't coming into fruition the way the organization wanted. So I was tasked with some others to go in, analyze the, the system, analyze the people, and bring it back. So uh, we did that. We brought it to Memphis. We brought the products to the market and started uh, selling it. And during that, one of the things we needed to do was provide files to these systems that actually played the commercial. Now, let's put some context on this. This is back in the mid-80s. And so we're talking about beta decks, big, huge VCRs, and uh, the machine control on them was very, shall we say, specific, right? We were talking like controlling a parallel printer, but we're controlling a VCR by turning lines on and off. And uh, so I had been working with this company who had a package that ran the machines, and they were trying to step up to the next level and build an actual machine that controlled multiple, right? So if you, not a lot of, not everyone's aware of cable systems, but you have your local cable provider and, and they'll give you, at that time, it was around a dozen to three dozen channels that you could get on your, on your, at home on cable. And about a third of those would allow the local cable system to inject commercials in the shows. Everyone thinks that it's, you know, ESPN doing the commercials, but then you'll see a local bar commercial, right? It's those local bar commercials that we were doing the injection of. And so in working with that company, they said, hey, you've got some great ideas. You've got some great experiences. Will you come work for us? So I did. And this company was, if you want to think about it in today's terms, we're taking a PC and today would go pull a pie off the shelf, right? But they were actually having to design and build their own PC motherboard along with all the device controls to run these machines, these big Sony Betamax machines. Around that same time, Sony started coming out with machines that we could control via serial. Of course, we had to support what was there as well as plan for the future. So, I mean, we 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 started from the ground up. I mean, we were designing boards. We were putting operating systems on them, not DOS, not Linux, but Unix-like things that we were buying from the back of magazines at the time to to really build this from the ground up. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm thinking back to mid-80s and what I was doing, and I'm still running around in high school doing all that that kind of stuff. And, and computers, we weren't thinking about computers, let alone automation of things like that, and especially not for the little guy that's like the no. local cable provider. Right. You know, for sure. Um, oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Damn. People that had technology, right? That they were larger companies, and you were talking about mainframes. And maybe if you were intelligent, you had a smart terminal, but more than likely that was a dumb terminal. You might have color, but more than likely it was monochrome. <laughs> yes, green screens. That's I'm right. That's where that term comes. Things. Yes. Yeah. 
Wow. Okay. So, so I'm sorry, I interrupted the whole history and, and spun you off for a moment on, on that, that cable piece. Um, keep going from there. Get us, get us from there to how you went, you know, you're, you're automating um, the injection of commercials into TV to, to the leadership role that you're in today. Help, help finish drawing out that path. Sure. So from, from doing the cable stuff, kind of stayed around cable a little bit more, but moved companies, went more to a company that was focused on the software side of things, the scheduling, and and um, came up to a new. We had a database at this point now, but it was a, but it was still not what you think about. It wasn't SQL. It was a relational database, an index, an ISAM system, and um, so we, you know, we put together a package and. And went from supporting eight possible channels that you could advertise on to 32 across multiple locations. So now you've, we, you know, kind of back to what you're thinking. You want that computer to do it. So now we're talking about bringing together groups of these cable systems and, and running commercials in a larger area. For example, in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, they have just in that, at that time, they had, 20 different companies all around the Bay providing cable to the folks. And so we built a package for them. Well, guess what? They saw me. They, they said, well, hey, why don't you come start a, a, a MIS department for us? Because we don't have anything. We're just, you know, taking what we got. So I went out there and, and built them a group and, and started a team and, and got them up and running. Met a, met a girl. There's always a girl in the story, right? Gets married and it's time to head back home. So I got that started, left it, went back to consulting so I could move around the country some, basically just, you know, general consulting, software consulting, writing programs. So are we in the 90s? We are, we we're we're just through tipping, the bubble yet? Yes, we're just tipping over into the 90s now. Okay. When I land, finally land in Nashville, at a big six accounting firm with their technology center. It's a shared service center providing technology to the entire firm. And they had all these mainframe developers and mainframe applications. They had heard about this thing called client server. And so they, they were looking for someone to help bring the teams forward to that. And so that's where and I joined them and as a technical specialist and started showing the the team how to do things that's you know windows 95 was beginning to show up we have sql server we have oracle we start to see a lot of the the more familiar terms that people know and and i uh, worked with the teams brought those people and showed them how all of that stuff you knew in the mainframe is still valid now we're going to step it up to client server. We're going to step it up to new languages. Uh, here's a here's one for you. Power Builder was a was a big tool that we started using to to pull them forward. And then we moved into Visual Basic six uh, before it moved in and started going up the chain. So I was there for for quite some time, probably about just about ten years. So we cover the 90s real fast right there. A lot of, 
you know, just showing people how to take that skill, those knowledge points that they know about good design and, and good testing and building things to meet the user's needs from the mainframe, but apply it now into client server world and PCs, Windows, and now things start getting graphical and more user-friendly and we start doing reporting. We start democratizing data and providing this information to folks. And um, so we start moving now towards the end of the 90s and the .NET boom starts up and and everything, excuse me, the 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 internet takes off. And uh, I get wooed away from from that accounting group to now go work for an internet startup and uh, was was building a team there because they were a internet service provider that wanted to move into the world of an application service provider. Kind of a new term. It doesn't exist much anymore. But, you know, you have your internet service providers that will bring internet to you and and give you a connection at home. But now you have application service, service providers, which was what they were wanting to be, to start providing applications on that, on that network. And they were focused around the educational space, uh, schools and whatnot. And so they wanted to have, they were providing applications and services that would be appropriate for schools, basically those pre-K to 12 schools. And you had filtering, you had uh, caching, and we were building for them a, a toolbar, which was an always present uh, portal from back in the day. Some things came to fruition. The business really didn't go the direction they wanted it to. There was a layoff, which puts me back into the consulting world. When I come up here to, to my current employer as a consultant for a six-week engagement to help them with the point-of-sale system, project that that was going off the rails i had that problem solved in about four hours and they asked me to hang around and here i am almost 20 years later and so that started out uh, very similar to to the last one where they were coming from not necessarily mainframes but micro micro machines and a lot of cobol programming and programmers and i looked they were asking me to now bring those teams up into client server, bring them into some new technologies, bring some process and procedure around to how they manage and run applications. And that's what I did and have done for the last so many years. And watched uh, the, the, the real theory, the real threat here is change and staying current and helping Folks, both in the business side and the and the technology side, understand how to use and apply new technologies to reduce friction for our customers and the business customers. Right, our customers in, te- in IT, of course, are our business users, and we want to give them systems and tools that help them do the business of the business with less friction and pain. And hopefully, we all make 
a little bit more cash for a wallet. Yeah, of course. That's that's one of the goals for sure. Now, one of the things that I definitely picked up on within all of the history that you um, just outlined for us, thank you, team building. You you have a constant theme of team building. Like you were hired for it. Um, yes. It seems like something and it one of those innate skills. So so tell me a, a little more about about team building and what some of the magic sauce or things that you've learned or what's what's a pitfall that you can help me avoid um, if I'm starting to build a team. If I'm if I find myself at some organization and and it's time to form the MIS or the IT group and start supporting this organization. What are some of the things that you've you've learned in this realm that, that you can share? Well, first and foremost is communication, right? Communication is both the answer, but more times than not, it's also the problem. And you know, and that takes me to the second point is we all have our own journeys, right? We all have our own fights, our own internal struggles. And we come from different points. You you started that you started the conversation with that. We all have our own ref, points of reference, and so so we. I always rec, try to recognize that, and and meet whoever I'm speaking with in the middle, right? If you're a business person, and and you don't really care about technology for technology, but you want it to do something for you to make your life easier, I need to understand what it is you're doing and what are those pain points. And and it's very similar to when I turn that around and communicate it to the technology folks, what is it that you need to understand to help them with their problem? And, and how do we go about getting that? And the English language is a wonderful tool, but... Lord have mercy, how many ways can we say the same thing? And and the point of reference that you may be meaning to give me is going to be different than what I hear because I'm going to hear it from mine. So I have to listen and I have to, to communicate. And one of the things I'd like to, to use is storytelling and trying to relate things to people in stories that they understand and, and I get to that point by listening and, and speaking with those. Kind of a third thing is relationship building. I am huge on that. I, I we're, They call it work, right, for a reason. We're here for a reason. But that doesn't mean we can't make it fun and we can't enjoy the time together. And we need to just figure out how to do that while still meeting our goals and objections, objectives. Yeah, for sure. Because if you're not enjoying work, if you're not enjoying those relationships, it, it's it's a slog. I mean, you're just right. trudging through and, and waiting for 5 a.m. or waiting for the weekend. And and those are I've, I've had more than a few days that have felt like that. And those are not fun days to be at work. But when right. you're building those when I'm building those relationships, when I'm talking to others, it it adds it adds that flavor like you're talking about. It's it I, I know that one of the greatest things for me is when I get a chance to network with peers, like talking with you and talking with others. Um, I I find enjoyment in that, and especially yep. I. It's another way of learning some more about where I'm at, what I've done, and where I can go. 
and and those the it's trying to hear that lesson or or find that lesson, find that golden nugget in the conversation. Um, right. One of the other the things. Other, that, go ahead. Well, I was just going to also point out is we need to celebrate, right? We need to celebrate our wins, as small or as big as they may be. Uh, which goes to another side, the darker side, right, of leadership. Uh, we want to celebrate publicly, but of course, correct privately, right, as most as best we can. But you know, maybe every once in a while, there may need to be a little bit more public correction, because those that will uh, go to trust building, because you do have to build trust both in your customers and your your staff as you're building a team. And, and communication is, is is critical there. Yeah, that, that, exactly. You know, you brought it up earlier that the communication, it, it's the boon and uh, it's the the gift and the boon at the same time. But building trust, because that's another thing that, that we all need within the organizations is to, to not only build the trust amongst our coworkers and or direct reports, but we've got to build trust with the with the business, because right. if we're not building that that trust with, and and you mentioned, um, you know, the IT customers and the ex, the customers of the organization, I, and I'm thinking of those as internal customers and external customers. Yes, right. And yeah. um, if we're not building trust with them, and that makes it, and that makes for those days that I was talking about, or that I think we were both talking about, where you come in and it's just work. All right. you're doing is trying to to get through the day, um, get everything off the plate so that you can get home and then go back to life and living. Right. Um, so you have build trust. Um, you brought up a point and I'm not sure if how much we stated it. It's not always about the technology. Right. Tell me, tell me something about that. Tell me about when it wasn't about the technology, when it was about. Well, so there's, there's when I look at applications, right, and I and I define what my role is as trying to provide application application services to the organization. An application is can be a piece of software, can be a, a piece of hardware, but it usually has some component of process and procedure that the, that defines how humans use it and interact with it. And so you you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that when you're defining a change or defining an, a new application, but you also can't ignore that in the support of it. And, and an, another subtle thing here is training, right? We think about training a lot of times as learning a new tool, learning a new technology, or maybe instructing users on how to use something new we just built. But training is continual, and people come and go, so we have to reiterate training. But humans, in general, it's going to take you know three to three to seven times hearing something before they learn and truly comprehend it in the beginning. But but then we also forget, right? Especially if it's not something we use. So we've got to remember that we have to keep reminding people and not get frustrated with that. I know that's 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 one of my sins that I have to watch out for 
is I just told you that three times. Well, maybe I did, and maybe I just told three more people about it. But this person I'm dealing with right now only uses this application once every quarter, and they forgot. You know, they had other things. They went home and went to sleep. They have things that are on their mind. So we have to we have to give grace both to ourselves and our and our staff and users. So helping remind people of of the changes of the goals of the uh, lessons without shaming, without right. you know, empower them and, and communicate it. It's you know I, I find it ironic and refreshing at the same time. We're we're going through some a bunch of internal changes, and and we've spun up a whole department around. We're calling it the implementation department because all they're doing is doing the documentation and starting the training of the trainers so that we can show that we handed that piece off because there's so many times with the organization and and the business that they we create something and we show the first group and we hand it off and everybody's all all gung-ho about it and then six months later they're coming back and saying well you never trained us how to use this and and i've got you know the highest levels of management going um what did you guys accomplish? What did you get done? And we're like, well, we built this awesome thing. Right. And they're like, well, they don't know how to use it. So fail. <laughs> and it's all, and it's only just that tiny little piece, that that tiny little piece. Communication, communication, communication. You know? That's right. And and the training. And so the communication and training hand in hand, solidly together. Um, yeah, not about the tech. <laughs> right. And hope, hopefully, you know, you can use some technology, you can put a wiki, you can put an internet together, you can have that in, embedded training in the application, but it still never takes away from that human interaction. Uh, that's just who we are. Yeah, but the human interaction is, you know, um, <laughs> not to be ageist, um, but you know, today, there's so many of us who um, I hear it all the time. Well, I send an email and and there um, who I'm trying to think of how it was put to me. Um, there was action taken, but there was not. Um, how was it put action taken? But the results, it wasn't result driven. It was I did an action. What were the results? Was there right. any level of follow through? Was there any um, making sure it was done? And the business so often wants somebody to get up, get off of their chair, get away from their desk, and go talk to somebody. Not right. even calling, um, although the calling is much more acceptable than the email today. Um, they still want somebody to come talk to them. And, well, and it's a huge thing, that communication again. Agreed. We also have a little bit of overload sometimes, I think, in ways to communicate. So your point is very valid. There has to be some sort of follow-through and follow-up to make sure that whatever action or answer was provided was correct and hit the spot. Right? And, and it's so easy with email, Teams chat, Zoom, WebEx, whatever, to to have that immediacy and then move on, which is okay if everyone's in agreement. And, but we, 
we can't take silence as agreement. And then that's, that goes back to kind of the one thing I was telling you, I was having some cage rattling earlier today. And it's just like, we need to make sure that, you know, there's, there's two ends, two sides of that communication to make sure that it, we had that ack and knack, right? We had that acknowledgement back that it, that the communication was heard, received, and things are moving. Yeah. Um, say it back to him in, in your own words versus, and, and just that, that whole interaction of the uh, nonverbal communication, the chance to talk to him and, and more than, you know, it's, I find it ironic that you said, do not take silence as agreement because we're, we joke all the time in our, in my organization of, you know, I'll ask a question and, and nobody in the team speaks up or says anything. Okay. Right. Silence is agreement. You guys agree. This is where we're going. And and nobody wants to say anything for whatever reason it is because right. they disagree or they don't want to speak up publicly and, and right. are afraid of getting shamed. And it, it's not that my team's afraid of getting shamed, but, you know, it's just one of those human um, interactions that, that there are people out there that are afraid to share their opinion. And, and those silent ones sometimes are the ones that you really need to draw that opinion right. out of because they've got that gift for us. They've got that, that hidden golden nugget. Some, some, that's right. Sometimes they have the, the right, right. It's the, the silent ones that really are listening. And, it, and in today's world, it seems to have escalated a lot over the last decade or so. Of course, COVID and the whole shutdown escalated a lot of stuff. But, you know, we're all multitasking or focused on other things and you have your phone in your hand and, and maybe you're half listening. So, you know, and, and we don't always meet in a way where we can read those body signs and understand. So, you know, reiterating, checking back with folks is, is just something we have to do. Um, uh, uh, there's, this isn't directly on the thread, but it, it keeps coming back through my mind because this has to do with making sure we've done things right. And if you think about in software testing, you know, oh, it works on my desk or it works on my machine or I tested it and it works. Well, really? Because two test points will draw a straight line just may not be the true line you think it is, though, when you do a few more test points. Amen to that. There's there's a couple of uh, systems that we have that, um, you know, we, we test them and we think, of, or the, uh, the dev group thinks that everything's perfect and it's not a real world test. We're, we're testing in isolation, like we're testing a single transaction flowing That's through right. the system. And it's not under load. It's not trying to process uh, a thousand threads at once. It's just right. here. Here, let me fire off this single transaction. Did it land? Yes. Did I get the result I wanted? Yes. Well, you set yourself up with a perfect world. Let's do it again. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. Okay, we're done. <laughs> um, so tell me, tell me one of your. Um, your funniest stories or tell me the story that you tell everybody the non-geeks about testing and failures and 
Let me, let me hear that story because I'm sure there's one out there. Because <laughs> otherwise, you wouldn't oh, have this lesson. <laughs> yeah, well, you put me on the spot now, and it, it's it's hard to come right. up with those things. But um, well, I mean, I don't have a good a good laughable one right at the moment. I'll keep talking. Right, tell me one of the painful ones. It's okay. Um, <clears throat> How did you learn that lesson? I've learned that lesson by touching the fire way too many times, right? With, with, by, with by doing that, by setting up my perfect test scenario and then handing it over to a user and watch them break it in, in nothing flat. And that doesn't mean banging on the keyboard. That means they're doing a real world scenario and they, they're putting in answers that to them are are you know, from their perspective, right? If you if you read the requirements and you write a test based only upon that, well, it may be you will get a valid test, but it may not be complete. And and it's again, it goes back to communication, right? And understanding what they really needed and how they really will really intend to use the system. Um, I'll tell you the story I tell. A lot. This doesn't necessarily cover this one, but it does That's in a fine. way. So um, back to when I was in Memphis working for that company doing the radio and cable software, the platform that that application was written on was an old 8-bit system that was originally meant to be a key to disk, if you understand what that was. That was a mainframe thing. It was above a, a punch card but not not much above a, a punch card and and it was meant for data entry but uh, this company had written a translator and an, an emulator where you could run it on a on a windows machine but it was still under the covers all the data structures were 8 bit and uh, dates were stored in an 8 bit integer and um I was no longer working for the company, but I get a phone call out of the blue saying, hey, these these systems have quit scheduling past this certain day. I'll call it February 2nd of 92. Um, I, I don't think that's the actual date, but we'll call it that. And they're like, what can we do? These things are still running. I'm like, I ain't been there for five years. How did how's the software even running? But anyway, so I have to go in, and that. But that's an example of where testing, right? You tested all the dates we were testing back in the '80s. All we tested was eighty dates, and they were all working. Once you clicked over to a couple, you know, a few months into to the '90s, now it wasn't working. And so we had to go in, and I had to go in with binary code and and expand that out to make it work further. Yeah. <laughs> So you need to think of extremes, right? When you're, and and how will these things work? Um, is kind of the takeaway there. But but another way of saying that is right. Really understand how the system, the application, the tool will be used to think about your extremes. You know, we've we've heard it. Y2K was a perfect example. Right. Oh, we'll never have to worry about that. That COBOL program may be dead long before 2000. Well, yeah. guess what? 
And it wasn't, and we all thought the world was going to die and blow up and woke up to a nice quiet morning going, wait a minute, <laughs> or at least exactly. I did. Oh, yeah. man. But, so we either planned well in the remap, or it wasn't as big a deal as we thought it was. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I'm, we're probably still headed towards another one of these dates because how many how many of the Y2K solutions were just to say, okay, well, if it's less than 32, we'll assume that it's the 1900s right, right. <laughs> or no, the 2000s. And then once we get past 2032, oh, that's so far in the future. We'll, we'll have it solved by then. <laughs> that's, that's coming up. <laughs> it is. Before it is. we know it. And and, and they, we all took different answers on that one, so it's going to start hitting us sooner than later. Oh man! Right. Um, and then one of the other things that I that I heard um, that that I know hasn't been communicated. And I'm not sure how much I've I've heard it is understand the tool and how the user is going to use the tool, not just how the tool was designed. Because I can't right. tell you how many times I've done that. Like I grab something and I start looking at it. And I'm like, why did they design it this way? And I'm thinking like physical things, like you know, bottle right. openers or or the wine corks. And and I, there's been so many times that I've found a way to use one of these tools, and somebody else is looking at me like, why are you doing it that way? I'm like, it makes sense. Look, and they're like, right. holy shit, that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not how it's designed. I'm like, yeah, it looks like it is to me. <laughs> And, and users do that with our stuff all the time. So, yeah, watching how they use it. Yes, for sure. The other, the other thing is we don't want to box ourselves into a way of thinking, right? Another catchphrase <laughs> that people hear me, and uh, you're chuckling. You probably have heard this yourself, maybe even use it, right? Just because you have a hammer, not everything is a nail. That's exactly what came to mind. As soon as you said yes. that, I'm thinking, all right, you know, here it's the hammer and the nail. Cause it is. I I remember one of my first jobs and, and I'm programming in Lotus Notes. <laughs> and yep. and I'm like, there I'm listening to one of the directors at, at a local university and and my boss, who's like just a I don't even remember the manager of just the department. And they're talking about the problem, and I'm like, well. I can solve that using Lotus Notes. I can do this, 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 and this. And and the director just looks over at me and goes, you know, just because you understand Lotus Notes doesn't mean that it's the answer to everything. Just because you got a hammer. <laughs> like, ah. Yeah. So is is the person you're trying to solve the problem for, are they a Lotus Notes user? Are they going to be there? Is that where they're going to be when they need to do this? No. Right? Exactly. Well, and... You know, that one kind of comes comes back to something else that I've heard you say a couple of times, and, and it's definitely a mantra of mine, follow up, follow through. Yes. And, and you know, uh, for me, when I'm talking about follow up and follow through, specifically when I'm talking to my support and maintenance or my help desk team, you know, that one, it, the horizons on that are much shorter. You know, it's like I'm trying to get them to, to follow up in a couple of days, you know, fix the problem. And then check back in a couple of days. Right. But I want you to come back and follow through two weeks later to make sure that that thing was solved. Because there's been so many times in my career that I've fixed a problem for somebody. And um, when I never would check in with them, I would just think, okay, I'm done. Um, that, that, you know, a couple of days later, they're like, hey, it's still broken. 
I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, what you thought you were done. <laughs> right. And then, then the other ones that, that follow through just coming back. And, and if, if nothing's broken, they love the touch points. They love sure. the customer service. They love the fact that you care enough and you remembered to check again. And, and you're communicating with them and, and talking to them and making sure that the, the business goals are being achieved. And, and if, even if everything is right, if you take that time, it may present you with an opportunity to learn more about what they're doing to have to figure out a way to avoid it in the first place so that you can enhance the system for users of the future or maybe provide something new of value for others that are that are in the group or, or the company. Right? Again, it's that friction, right? What are their friction points? It's helping you understand them so you can you can be a partner and look ahead to make suggestions to improve their job, not just fix and address their problems. Right. And, and that makes me think of that other one that I love to bring up to my, my team is, you know, you got to ask why. You, you right. don't just take the solution that, that they propose to you. And, it, and it's not a thing to, to say anything against our users and, and the people who are providing the solution. It's, it's back to the hammer and our nail analogy that they know this tool set. They know, they know Excel. And so they're going to ask for a solution that works in Excel. And half the time, if my team isn't asking why and trying to find out what the real problem is, and, and you've been describing it as the point of the friction point, and, right. and I'm just saying, you know, find out what their goal is. What are they trying to fix? If you don't find out what that is, then you're going to provide a solution for the wrong solution. Well, you've said it several times here. You've used the word multiple times, and I want to I want to take Please. you down another path, right? Solutioning, <laughs> right? Solutions, and it's wonderful, right? And, and our our users, I'm sure yours are the same, will bring you solutions. Here's what I want, and sometimes maybe that's what you give them, but the real service will be when you pause. You get them to pause for a second and say, okay, I hear your solution, but let's talk about what the real issue is you're trying to address and see if together we can find a larger solution, a, a more appropriate solution. You know, hopefully it's one that we can we can put together, give them to quicker and cheaper as opposed to what they're bringing, right? Someone comes running in saying, I have to have this piece of software. Okay, we can go get that. We can license it for you. It's going to cost this. It's going to take this much time. It's going to take this much support over the next so many years and integration. And we'll have to deal with all this. But let's let's pause for a second and say, what are you trying to accomplish, right? What is the real issue here? Because maybe I have it already here. Maybe it's already a feature of something you're already using. Yeah, I mean, that one, that's so important because that's, and for any of you guys that are listening to us, I mean, that is one of the, the hard learned lessons of how do we keep that application sprawl down? And, and when you can find those synergies and leverage the same or a solution 
for multiple problems, then, then that helps us win. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons that I think both of us are sitting where we're sitting is yes. because we've been able to find some of those things and leverage those things. And the, uh, the money people really like it when you can solve multiple things with an existing tool without having to go buy more. You, yeah, you have, have to, to be careful. You got to balance yeah, that out, right? Don't don't be right. the hammer. <laughs> right, but there are lots of times that that hammer can be used for multiple things. That's it right. Doesn't just have to be for a down. That's right. All right. Um, I'm trying to think of what. So, you got any other stories? You got like, what's your? What was one of the hardest learned lessons? Not not just that one on on um, the two test points. Don't make a straight line, but. Uh, um, this doesn't fit directly into a hard lesson, but it, well, it was a hard yes. lesson, right? So, um, recognize that you may have a chip on your shoulder and be prepared to address it. Um, you know, use it to motivate you and, and, and not in, in anger or not against others, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, figure out what it is that's making you feel that way. Kind of do a little bit self-introspective. Uh, everyone's fighting their own private battles, including yourself. So think about that. Uh, I've said it once before, right? We have to give others grace. Well, we also have to give ourselves some grace. And um, kind of the circle back around that and, and something I said at the beginning, right? I, I grew up kind of with some duality, right? I grew up in a small town in Tennessee. So I have a lot of those preconceived notions about me as being that hick and that that know-nothing small town person, at least when I was starting out. And, um, but also my my father, and my, my father was a physician. And my parents were well-known in the community. So I also had, you know, people saying, oh, well, he's just, you know, running on his, his parents, you know, coattails. So that was kind of my chip. And I had to, to figure that out and learn how to turn that around and, and take, well, people are underestimating me. Those that once I moved out of the small town and moved into the larger cities, People were seeing me as that small town hick, and I said, "Well, okay, well now maybe I can use this again, use this for my advantage to learn a little bit more and hear a little bit more, get them to explain a little bit deeper." And and so you just have to take what your your preconceived notions of a negative and turn it around to figure out how you can use it and learn from it. Yeah, um, that's that one is a. Hard lesson for many. You know, I, I've got to be able to look at myself, got to be able to recognize my faults, and I've got to be not afraid to admit them, see them, own them, and right. then I can fix them. Because if I if I don't see, admit, and own, I'm never going to fix it. Um, Again, it's I back can, to that growth and learning. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and. And it's one of the best ways. If you can do that, then you can be a leader. Yes. If if I can if I can recognize my mistakes, my flaws, and I can start to grow from those and and address those, um, then I can also hopefully I can help others to see theirs and grow from theirs. 
Well, the other thing around leading is you're not, you probably got to that position because you were the the most productive, the the most, the smarter, the the most, you know, you were delivering the best products. But you're in the management position now to inspire that and lead others to that. So you you're going to to do so not so much by doing, but by instructing them and supporting them and helping them find their passion and utilize the skills that they know or get them the training to give them the skills to be successful. Yeah, the, the training piece is important. It's it's anymore. It's kind of one of those benefits, those hidden benefits. If hopefully everybody's finding organizations to work at that that believe in that and help feed that and offer those opportunities. And a lot of the times it was I'm not sure about you, John, but for me it was a lot of self um self-teaching, self-actualization. I had to go out there. I can't tell you how many times it was I hate manuals. But you know what? You know, there's there's a big button on like five of the applications that I've got open, and oh, it yeah. says help. <laughs> yep. And it's it's a lot easier today than it used to be, right? Training used to mean expensive and time out of the office. Um, yeah. We have a ton of information in our hands, and we shouldn't ignore it. We all love to use Google. Google's our friend. Uh, the secret there is how learning how to weed out the bad from the good. Yeah. Um, but that still doesn't. I mean, that is one way of training. It's and and really, what we're talking about now, when you're leading folks, is not necessarily being that trainer per se. Although you will have that that role from time to time, it's being that motivator and encourager to help them find their way to learning on their own and finding how they're going to do that. For sure. Yeah. Oh, man. You just, I just got lost in my own head thinking about all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Yeah. Um, it, it did make me think of one other random thought, and that was, um, I, I'm betting that you're of the same kind of generation. I know you got a, a couple of days on me. Um, but how often when you were growing up were you told not to touch that? Don't touch that button. Don't turn that knob. <laughs> he's holding up his hand and he's missing part of a finger. <laughs> so, so, so yes, I, uh, I was told that quite a lot, um, but I did have parents that encouraged me to learn. My mother, um, up until when I was born, was a teacher, and she was always a teacher in my mind, just not professionally. Um, I've raised a daughter that's now a teacher as well. So learning and education is, is there, but then of course the don't touch that is, is critical, but I was the guy I had the 67 Mustang that I, people joked that I spent more money for gas to wash parts than I did driving it down the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it was tore down and rebuilt multiple times. Um, well, my mother would joke quite, quite a lot that uh, her appliances and devices were always being taken apart, so I could figure out how they worked. But, uh, it's uh, it's an inquisitive mindset. It's it's a good thing. 
Yeah, it is. It is. I, it took me the longest time to kind of get over that. Don't push that button because at some point, I don't remember exactly when I had this insight, but somebody created that button for a reason. That right. button's sole purpose in life is to be pushed. So like applications and and all of the different software, well, applications and systems and computers and all of the things that we work with, there, there's so many different buttons that, that I that curiosity i gotta know what it does i gotta right. see how it works and i, I want to know more um so pushing that button has become kind of a mantra you know and uh you, we i want to circle back to something else that you were talking about the the solutions and solutioning um I, i've started to hear a new saying and i don't know how new it is but people start saying a lot more in my in my realm of um, don't bring me a problem unless you have a solution. And and I don't want that. I bring me the problem and let's figure out how we can fix it or what let's find the solution. Because there's been so many times they come with that prefabricated solution and it's back to our hammer and nail analogy. Right. It that's a statement that comes out of frustration, right? And I and I get it. And in those moments it is an opportunity to to improve. Um, sometimes, more times than not, that that becomes an opportunity for us to manage up um, and and set expectations and help, or more importantly, help better understand the expectations that triggered that that statement. But um, it, that. That statement, I think, again, is one of those things that that will be avoided with trust and open communications. Because if you have that, hopefully the person making that statement would be more willing and open to hearing or discussing with you the options that, that you want to propose. I get it. As a manager, as a leader, I don't want my staff coming to me with, oh, this is blowing up. Tell me how to fix it, right? I want them to come and say, hey, this is blowing up. I have another statement I'll come back to on that one. And here's what I'm going to do with it. Here's my options. That's what I want to hear, right? And they're looking for guidance and approval to proceed. That's a good thing. The bad thing is coming and saying, I've, it's blowing up. I've got a problem. Tell me how to fix it. That's not, that's not good. Um, and I just lost where my mind was a second yeah. ago. Um, I'm not the only one. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Empowering the employee to come up with a solution. It It is about that, right? And it's, it's having that, um, having them have the comfort to bring the problem, one, and then two, to ideate around possible solutions and just seeking guidance and basically approval. So I remember what I was about to say. Deliver bad news quickly. Good news, not as fast, but and confirm that it is, which goes back to that testing two points, right? Just because it worked once, let's make sure with the fix, the good news is is long term is going to be good news. That's that's a good point. Bring 
you know, bring out the bad quickly, but take some time to validate, trust but validate that on the good news and, and check those facts. I, right. I had an issue yesterday where we had a couple of things blow up. And and so we brought everybody into the same room and said, okay, well, let's get to the bottom of this. And and we had, you know, we had the IT team that said, well, we've told them. And then we had the uh, users who were like, uh, no, you didn't. Right. <laughs> and, exactly. and then we started to get to the truth and both sides were right. And so it, it's, it's fun when you, when you do that, it's uncomfortable. Both sides were unhappy. Right. Um, but we got to the root. We found a way of, or we recognized where our communication was failing, just like right. you were bringing up earlier, you know, that, that communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, and so if we're not talking and sharing that and, and being honest and truthful with each other, then, then we're never going to figure out what's broken and, right. and get to the real solution. So um, is there anything that you want to promote? Is there anything that you want others to know about you that, that you want to bring up about your life? Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be the, the, the business. It's here's your chance, man. Promote what you want. <laughs> well, so when I'm not uh, sitting here, you know, in empowering technology teams to deliver wonderful solutions, I do like to to get out in my RV and get away from it all and disconnect. Um, I uh, am in Kentucky, so yes, I do own horses. Uh, my wife loves uh, horses, uh, probably more than me sometimes. But uh, <laughs> so we have a small farm, and and we have. Uh, some wonderful horses, and we have one that we raised uh, that has started showing this year. That's uh, a champion racking horse that we're we're thrilled about. So I'm really just you know bragging here that not only can I lead teams, but I can uh, lead horses to success time Very to time. Awesome. Congratulations! That's awesome. Thank you. What, what's the what's their name? So we call this one Maggie. Her her true legal name, um, I think, is I can't say. I'm not going to say it. It's it has something to do with a magical night, I think, or, or some some twist in that. Her uh, her father is his uh, has night in his K N I G H T in his name and. And we're huge Disney fans, so we try to twist something into Disney magic or magical or some some uh, somehow Disney name into it to get yeah, that as my, well. Yeah, my uh, my wife loves Disney, and and my youngest has finally hit the point where she's older than the number of times she's been to to a Disney location. It took until she was seventeen before she hit that point, and we haven't yep. been going for a couple of years, obviously. But um, yeah, so I, I get it. Naming things after Disney in one way sure. or another. Uh, well, John, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, is there anything else you want to bring up? So one other thing, this doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but I have a golden hoodie hanging on the door hook over here beside me, which for uh, those that know what I just said, know it. Others don't. So Salesforce has. Um, uh, a huge community, and they have, like a lot of companies, they have their MVPs, a group of folks who are selected 
um, you know, to be ambassadors and, and, are, and are recognized for some trait. And then above, kind of above or alongside the MVPs are those folks who have also been recognized for what they've done with Salesforce and done with Salesforce in the community. And I am one of those, probably the, if I'm accurate, I think it was the second one ever awarded and has to do with Service Cloud. And uh, that was a huge honor that I received uh, six years ago as we uh, deployed Salesforce here at the company. Congratulations, right? Huh. Yeah. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe I see that golden hoodie uh, or that golden hooded hoodie in your LinkedIn picture. Yes, it? you do. I, I thought there was some significance behind that. You, yeah. you look very happy with that. So yeah, it's it's something that's that's very it's special. It's a special recognition that I, I was very proud of. Still, oh, well. And and that should be one of the one of the many. I mean, come on, you've put in at what I believe I heard near forty years of IT work, yes, and sir. and have been there from <laughs> been there from almost punch cards all the way through. Um, and, and I bet I bet you're one of the few that would understand what twenty six hundred is and what freaking is. <laughs> yes, yes. And it, and it's amazing how many of them don't know what we're talking about at the moment. No, and, and, and I'm going to leave them that well. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to leave them with uh, wondering what the heck, what, what does a Captain Crunch whistle have to do with any exactly. of this? Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I have actually dialed a phone successfully with nothing but two bare wires. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. So you're actually one of them. <laughs> Close to it. Freaking is a, is, is a little bit different, but close. Yeah. It's a beginning. Well, it's pretty dang close. I mean, most there's no way that anybody's... Uh, I'm going to show a cell phone on the camera. There's no <laughs> way anybody's using wires to dial this thing today. No. Not, no. Or not, not in the way that we're talking. Not by, like, tapping That's wires right. together. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well... Thank you very much, John. I do need to throw in a quick advertisement for ourselves, for the uh, Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Please, if you enjoyed the podcast, and even if you didn't, give us some honest feedback. Go back to uh, wherever you got the podcast from and give us some, some feedback. Rate us. Let us know how we're doing. Um, we need that so that we can improve the show. Thank you very much, John. It's been an awesome conversation. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.